biggest thing is that I hope that they get from it and that I hope that other people that watch it get from it is that no matter what you do, do it with passion. Put, put everything you have into it. Don't half-ass it. And guess what? Here's the other thing. You're not going to be the best. You're not always going to be the best. And sometimes you're, you know, sometimes you're going to be far from the best. But if you put your best effort uh, forward, if you do what you can do to prepare, uh, then there's nothing, there's nothing in the world that's going to hold you back. Coming out of spring training, scuffled, scuffled at the beginning. Last week of spring training, I actually hit four bombs in the last week. It was like, oh, phew. You know, at least I saved my roster spot. And then uh, I ended up getting sent down. And Art Howe called me in the office. And this is, this is, this is an epic one, Mike. You'll like this. But Art Howe calls me in the office and he says, grabs the phone and he hands it to me. And he says, this wasn't my decision. He goes, talk to Billy. And so I... I called Billy Dean, and, and, and he wasn't there at the time, and his secretary said he was going to be back in like an hour. I said, cool. I said, you know, I said, if you get a hold of him, tell him I'll be waiting for him in the parking lot. To listen to your message, press one. This is the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's Mike Yale. End of message. All right, thanks for hopping aboard. Love hearing from you guys on social media. Extremely grateful for those of you guys who've been sharing uh, these shows on your social channels. If you're new to the podcast, we are all about sports stories. We have usually current and former athletes, coaches, not to mention broadcasters who come on to tell their stories and and really share some of their passions. And today's show is baseball theme. And a reminder, if actually you're a baseball fan, two of my favorite previous guests are actually former big league players. uh, Catcher Joe Siddall, who's actually the current analyst for the Blue Jays, his story could not be more inspirational. I actually got chills doing that interview. First time in my career. I've probably done a couple thousand interviews. Never happened to me before, but it happened when I was talking with Joe. And uh, World Series winner, Jeremy Affeld. He actually came on, uh, great pitcher with the Giants. Really cool to hear how a chance encounter for him with a 16-year-old homeless girl not only really changed the trajectory of his career, but his life. And uh, in my opinion, those episodes totally worth checking out. But today's guest, Eric Burns, he played 11 seasons in the bigs, five different teams. And because you guys know, I work for the Pac-12 Network, as does Eric. I'll also throw out there, he's a UCLA Hall of Famer. He's hit for the cycle. He's come up with clutch home runs. His passion now actually has nothing to do with a bat and a ball. He's created a powerful documentary. It's called Diamonds to the rough. Eric has essentially become an ultra marathon runner, which is still shocking to me. Got to watch the documentary uh, a couple days back and and it really is absolutely stellar. Uh, Eric, appreciate you stopping by with us on the show. Yeah, Mike, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate you uh, giving diamond to the rough a little love right there. It was, uh, it was, it was, you know, powerful to kind of, just like you said, but it was something that was so unexpected. I can almost kind of laugh at it now because uh, something that started as a home video and uh, sort of evolved into something a lot more. But I'm, I'm, glad it, uh, I'm glad it resonated with you. Yeah, and I think everyone, and you did the screening for us at Pac-12 Network, and you know I've talked to a lot of people since uh, your visit here, and, and a lot of people were really um, caught up in a lot of things that happened in the documentary. But I, look, I want to get to you uh, about that, and I, I want to talk about your baseball career because I think there's so many elements as a former professional athlete that apply to what you did, and yet some things I'm sure I'm not even thinking about. So I want to talk to you about that transition and and going from baseball 
to essentially training for a 100 mile one day race. Yes, 100 miles in one day. But I, I want to start with your playing career because there are so many high points. I mean, you play as many years as you did in the big leagues. What's what's sort of that best moment? Uh, I, I don't even know if it's happened on the field or in the clubhouse, but when you reflect back, and I'm sure there's so many, is there this one singular moment, maybe even in the minor leagues as you were trying to work your way into the bigs that stands out? You know what, Mark? I don't think so. Um, you know, because it, it's funny because you, you just brought that up, right? And I literally, I sat here, I kind of closed my eyes. And I started thinking about like, if, if there's one moment I think back to my baseball career. Like, what is it? And just because you had mentioned the cycle, right? So that, that kind of popped through my head. My major league debut uh, went through my head as well. But then I started thinking about times in the minor leagues. And then I started thinking about just sort of random days. And this all just happened within the past 15 seconds. So I don't <laughs> think you can really pigeonhole, like there's not necessarily one defining moment. And it was funny because you and I were talking uh, off air uh, before this, and we were talking about Tom Brady and, you know, winning another Super Bowl, and, you know, really, and him getting emotional about it in the interview he was doing with Terry Bradshaw, and he mentioned his family and and whatnot. And, and really, like, my thing is, is that, like, if you sat there, and, and, and you've already been to, to six Super Bowls, right? And you, are, you already had, what is it, four rings, and you're looking for one for the thumb, like, unless you totally immerse yourself in the process, you're not going to win a fifth. And the way the Patriots fell behind, and you could tell, like, just the way they were playing, it's like they had these huge expectations on them, uh, and, and here they were again, and they felt like they were going to just roll out the ball, and, and, and here we go. But it wasn't until their backs were against the wall. It wasn't until they pretty much just said, F it. Like, let's go out there. Most likely we're going to lose this game anyway. But you go out there, and you totally, you, you totally embrace the moment, the now. That's, that's what makes somebody great at what they do. And it doesn't matter if it's playing a football game or playing a baseball game or, or even, you know, being a broadcaster, Mike, in, in, in what you do on a daily basis. Unless you focus on this interview right here, there, there's no way, it's, it's, you know, looking back, it's like, yeah, you're going to have some great moments. But the best at what they do are able to be in the moment at that time in every moment they make the best moment. And guess what? Every moment's not going to be great. Everyone's going to deal with obstacles and, and, and there's going to be things that happen that, you know, you don't necessarily, uh, well, really pretty, for the most part, just a pain in the ass, but it's, it's all how you approach that, right? You know, your back's going to be against the wall, but if you can approach every day in the moment, then I think ultimately a couple things. Number one, you're going to be the best at whatever you do. At least you're going to be your best, which is all you can ask for, right? And then after that, when you look back on a career, be it baseball or, you know, ultra running or broadcasting or even Tom Brady's situation playing football, you ask about great moments. There's going to be not one singular moment that sticks out in his head. There's going to be multiples. Eric, was there a guy, or maybe even just you, who was, were you good at doing that kind of letting go when you were playing baseball, at least, and, and being in that moment? I was okay. I, I wasn't great. Um, yeah, I was very emotional. And, you know, it, it's good to be emotional. And I'm going to bring Tom, <clears throat> Tom Brady back up for a second because 
you know, we're, we're, we're fresh off this Super Bowl here. But I watched, I watched Brady come out at the beginning, and I saw him, you know, fired up, or, ah, rah, rah, you know, do his legend. That, that, that's Tom Brady. That's what he does, right? And my first thought was, man, I hope he's not too emotional going into this, right? You know, and it's like, it was almost like he was trying to fire himself up. He didn't have to fire himself up. He's Tom Brady. And I think sometimes, you know, through the course of my career, I became over emotional in things that I did. I would get too fired up going into a game. Um, I would get too excited about success. I would get too disappointed about failure. And it's, you can't, you can't live your life like that. You can't, you can't live your life off the highs and, 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 and just relishing your highs or, or, or something wrong happens and, and just completely beat yourself up because of your lows. Uh, I, I, I feel like I got better at that through the course of my career. Uh, later on in, career, in, in my career, I could think, you know, 06, 07, uh, which were, were probably two of my uh, best years. I, I think by that point, I, I became a lot better uh, at letting go. I think I became a lot better of, of dealing um, with, with the obstacles in my way and, and realizing that, you know, again, it, it, it's how I react to those obstacles that, that allows me uh, to carry on. Now, you know, Mike, you have to understand this, though, but I, I, was, I was traded twice in 2005 and then released. So, uh, you know, I think after dealing with that, and, 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 and almost having that sort of feeling that I have nothing to lose because if I'm out of a job and it's over, I'm, I'm, it's over and I'm going to move on with my life and that's it. But I think too often, you know, we put, we put too much of our, our self-worth and our being in our craft. And I think, I think it's uh, a double-edged sword because, number one, it's like you, need, you need to immerse yourself in what you're doing. You need to be passionate about what you're doing. But you also can't, you know, you can't live and die with that experience. I think, you know, perspective is one of the greatest things that we can have. And, and I, I think that's what I was able to gather uh, after 2005, after I was traded from Oakland to Colorado, then Colorado to Baltimore, and then released, uh, you know, and then, and then coming up on Christmas uh, w- without a job and, and thinking to myself, okay, like, this is, this, is, this is a reality. Like, you might not be playing baseball next year. You might not be playing baseball ever again. Uh, and then, so, you know, I think what happened is, is I went back and it was like, you know, the one thing that I know I'm going to do is, is I'm going to enjoy playing this game. I, it gave me a new perspective. I, w- I went from uh, being a person uh, that felt entitled to, to my opportunity uh, in the big leagues. And I, I say entitled because I, I worked my ass off. I gave this game everything I had. And I, and, I, and I put up results. And, and that's how I felt through the minor leagues. That's how I felt through the Dominican. That's how I felt in, in some limited time action in the big leagues. But I always felt like, man, I never got my, like, I, you know, it's all, life's about opportunity. And, and the only thing that we can control is, is our performance. And, and ultimately, guess what? You know, if somebody or something uh, is blockading you, you, you might not get that opportunity. I, the, the question is, how are you going to react to it? And, I, you know, quite frankly, like, I didn't react very well at the beginning. I, I, I knew I was ready to play in the big leagues in 2000, right away, right when I first came up. I came up, had two knocks off of uh, <clears throat> the Cleveland Indians, Chuck Finley first at bat, boom, base hit, got him first, stole second, 
you know, scored a couple of, like, was was hitting, I don't know, at the time, maybe like 370 in AAA, 11 ball. Like, it was, am I ready? You're damn right I'm ready. Well, guess what? I came up on a team that was uh, a perennial playoff team that had a bunch of young studs. Um, and, you know, I really, I, I didn't play every day. I didn't start three consecutive games until 2003. And in the meantime, I'm going back and forth. I'm going to Sacramento. Two days later, after I had my major league debut, I get sent back down. And there's nothing I could have done about that. And uh, I think finally, um, you know, finally I, 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 made, I made a conscious decision in Oakland. I recognized at least what was happening. I, I think, you know, like any addict, right, the first step is, is, is just, you know, admittance. And I, I admitted, like, you know what, I mean, you know, I, I keep wanting to make excuses. And, and it's Billy Bean's fault or it's Art House's fault or, you know, whatever, like, for me not getting that opportunity. And, and I think eventually – uh, you know, in 2002, I, I know exactly what happened. It was, I got sent down to the minor leagues. 2001, I went up and down nine times. And, in two, and I was on the playoff roster uh, against, the, uh, against the Yankees in that uh, sort of epic series after 9-11. And then they, they wanted me to go to D the Dominican Republic. I go to the Dominican Republic. I was the first American in 20 years to win the Most Valuable Player Award. I come back, and it was like, you know, look, I was on the playoff roster with the Dominican, won MVP, like, for sure, I'm going to make the team. Coming out of spring training, scuffled, scuffled at the beginning. Last week of spring training, I actually hit four bombs in the last week. It was like, oh, phew, you know, at least I saved my roster spot. And then uh, I ended up getting sent down. And Art Howe called me in the office. And this is, this is, this is an epic one, Mike, you'll like this. But Art Howe calls me in the office and he says, grabs the phone and he hands it to me. And he says, this wasn't my decision. He goes, talk to Billy. And so I, I called Billy Dean, and, and, and he wasn't there at the time, and his secretary said he was going to be back in like an hour. I said, cool. I said, you know, I said, if you get a hold of him, tell him I'll be waiting for him in the parking lot. And waiting for him in the parking lot and, and, <laughs> and basically had it out with him. And, uh, you know, his reasoning was that, uh, that I didn't walk enough in spring training. I'd walked one time in 50 at-bats and – you know, my reasoning of, of in my argument was, was, hey, look, I've done everything you guys have asked me to do and, and, and more. And, and the, the only thing that hasn't been here, and I've been waiting, what, you know, two plus years, three years for an opportunity. And I, and I hadn't gotten one. And so I went down to AAA and I sulked. And, and, and I, I felt like, you know, the world was against me. And then I started looking around and I started thinking to myself, I said, man, I said, I've become the AAA player that, I used to I used to talk about and I used to tell my friends about the ones that you know were always bitching about not getting an opportunity and yeah 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 and, and I became that guy and Bob Guerin called me into the office who he's now the bench coach of the Los Angeles Dodgers but he called me in the office he was a AAA manager he's like look he said all oh, he he managed me in A ball he managed me in AAA before he managed me in the Dominican he said I've never seen you like this and he goes I'm going to sit you down for the next two days and uh, just want you to think about you know. What, what, what made you a great player in the past? So sure enough, sat down for a couple of days and, uh, and, 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 and gained some perspective there. Uh, and then, and then went out and, and, and crushed it. And uh, within like a week, I think it was like, I got super hot for a week and then uh, was back up in the big leagues. And, and really that, that was the last time I was in the minor leagues. So it's a, it's just, it's just about really kind of understanding, um, you know, understanding that, there's only so many things in your control. And, 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 and again, like all, you know, it, how are we going to react to things that happen to us? And, and you have, 
you have a choice, uh, you know, and you can go one way or another. So I was, you know, very, very fortunate, very grateful uh, to having some really good people in my life that helped guide me in the, in the right direction. I'm glad you bring that up. So I was going to ask you, like, who do you lean on in those situations? Is it teammates? Is it former coaches? Is it family? Is it friends? Like, who do you get that support from? as you're bouncing back and forth and you're tearing it up and you think you should be at the bigs and having it out with Billy Bean in a parking lot. And instead you're, you're playing, you know, minor league ball again. Yeah. I think you lead on it. Uh, just a wide range of people, you know, I mean, anywhere from, you know, my parents to, to, you know, Bob Guerin, like I mentioned, who was, who was our triple A manager that I had, a, I had a really good relationship with and, and actually still have a good relationship with uh, teammates, you know, they're, 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 these guys are all in the same situation you are. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think, again, like we're just talking about external factors and, and, and th- you know, external factors that, you know, really there's nothing, there's nothing you can do uh, outside of, of your job to influence them. And that's it. And so once you realize that, uh, and, you know, and the focus becomes on the task at hand, uh, you know, and if it's, playing in a triple A game that night is doing, doing, doing what you can do to help the team, uh, you know, win that game. And, and the minor leagues, it can be tough because it's very non-team oriented. It's very individual, individualistic. You've got guys rooting against you. You've got, um, you know, you got travel schedules that are, that are horrific. Uh, you know, there's plenty, there's plenty of excuses to, to make up. And you know, I've always been a good team player. And, and, and I, I've always felt like whenever, whenever I was playing, where I felt that something was greater than, than myself, then I would play well. And whenever I was playing that, you know, I had selfish implications in mind, uh, then I wouldn't play well. So that's, um, you know, again, that, that's just the perspective that, that I had to continue to try to, to try to go back to. Eric, when you're in the parking lot with Billy Bean, and then fast forward, Moneyball with Brad Pitt comes out. Do you watch that? I, I got to think you watch that movie vastly different than everyone else uh, absolutely saw that movie. And, and Pitt obviously was great in it. But your appreciation, because now you're you're sort of like a filmmaker, right? I mean, you have this documentary. Do you do you does it resonate different when you see a movie like that, knowing that you had that experience and you played for the A's and you had that relationship with Billy? Yeah, you know what, Mike? I've watched it twice, and it, the first time I watched it was huh, probably about a year or two after it came out. I saw, and, and for for about a year, I I, I wouldn't watch it. Um, and why and was that? I was it was I don't know. I it, it took. It, it's funny because I didn't I didn't read the book. I didn't read Moneyball until until i got traded uh from the a's it was because i think there was this resistance amongst the players uh to what what you know they were trying to do and you know here's the funny thing it's like you know i i'm totally good with players sort of ignoring ignoring you know stuff like that too uh but i i also think like in the modern day I think it's important to, to understand, you know, what, what we need to value. Um, and, and I always felt like I, I, I did understand a little bit uh, what we needed to value. I, I did understand what was, what was important. Um, but I, I, I don't know. 
I, I think I was probably still hurt from the fact that I got traded. Uh, and, and it's, I mean, it sounds like, I don't know, no big deal. People get traded as professional sports. It happens. Uh, but I felt like the one thing I did feel like, and, and I still feel like, but I also, from my role now, I understand is that, you know, Billy didn't necessarily care about the individual. And if you were to ask me, I think that that's the one thing that's missing in his theory that will allow that team to win a championship. And, and I say that, and I think Billy Bean's a good guy. I think Billy Bean's uh, uh, got a huge heart. But I also believe that, you know, he's entrenched himself in, in this system. Um, and it's not just necessarily a system, but it's, it, it's this, look, I understand, like, the re- same reason why he has David Forrest, you know, make trades for it, you, you know, trade, t- tell the guy he doesn't want to get emotionally attached. And I understand that, right? Because it's, you don't want to make decisions based on emotion. When we, we already talked about this earlier. It's like, you don't want to be too emotional. But guess what? You're dealing with human beings. And so when you deal with human beings and you think about, the, you know, in, in the context of this, I'll give you an example that, you know, is a lot bigger example than, say, him trading, uh, him trading me away is, is Joanna Cespedes. And all the numbers stacked up. And, and I'm, I'm a baseball analyst at the time when he made the Joanna Cespedes trade, and I agreed with it. I'm like, oh, man, are you kidding me? Like, to get the pitching back in return that they were able to get, like, I was like, yeah, absolutely. But then you go back and you look at some of the hardcore data and you look at what Joanna Cespedes meant to that lineup and meant to that team. And, yeah, maybe, you know, I, I, I get it. Like, if you just take his numbers out and it's easy to plug numbers back in, but it's, it's tough to say uh, and it's tough to quantify how other guys respond around, say, that one player. And I'm not saying that I was that player or anything else. I mean, I'd like to think that I had a positive influence, you know, on the guys. But if you watch the teams that have won championships, and I'll use the San Francisco Giants as a perfect example, Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans and, you know, even more so Bruce Bochy, the guys who, you know, are making decisions on a day-to-day basis, these are, these are guys that have totally bought in to – the idea of team concept. And at the same time, they've also embraced the sabermetrics world. So you, you embrace all the numbers and then you understand the team and the concept of team and, and, and you really have to understand how to get the most out of your players. And not only that, how to get the most out of your players at critical times. Uh, and so, and I think, I think Billy's evolving too. I, I, I think, in, you know, even just the A's in general, it's been a great organization. It's always been a great organization. The loyalty within the organization from the staff is incredible. There's still the same guys there with Keith Littman, um, you know, running, running the farm system. Like there, the, a, a lot of the same people who, who were there that made that organization successful when I was there are still there. And, and there's nothing, you know, Grady Fuson, uh, you know, who supposedly had the blow up with Billy in the movie. Um, you know, he's still there as a special advisor and Billy brings him back. There's a lot of love within that organization. And that still is one of the best organizations in all of sports. And Billy Bean is one of the main reasons why. 
But what will get them over the hump? A couple things. Number one, investing when they need to invest and, and when they feel like they have a chance to go for it, that they, they go for it like they did. But also learning to understand that when you have a player like Josh Donaldson, when you have a player like Ioannis Cespedes, these are guys that are game changers that come around every once in a while, and, and they're guys that other guys feed off. And, and they make everybody around them better. That, those, are, those are also some of the, the I don't know, not some of, those are the greatest athletes of all time. The ones that not only are great themselves, but make everybody great around them. Eric, what do those guys have, though? I think conceptually, people get that. We use the term great leader. We understand locker room guy. But you, you played with these guys. You were in those locker rooms. So what is... What are some of those attributes? Like, I, I put into words what's making some of those guys great leaders and those great athletes that you just talked about. Authenticity would be probably the first word I would use. Um, someone who, who, you know, he's not he's not trying to be a fake leader. He's not being a leader for the sake of uh, of rah rah or anything else. Uh, but he's going out there and, it, and it's authentic. And you know, someone who has uh, an energy that other people can feed off. Somebody who who uh, shows a, a, a confidence, borderline arrogance uh, that that can feed uh, in, into the rest of the attitude of the team. Uh, if you know, if you think about it, it's you know, it, it's all about it's all about how how do we get the best out of our guys? And if you look at the teams that win championships, those are the teams that you'll have. I don't know, let's just say for a baseball team and, you know, there's nine regular guys in a lineup and, and you'll have seven of the nine guys will have career years on, on, on teams that win championships. And, and, you know, you look at, I don't know, we can just take the Cubs who won the last World Series and, you know, sure, sure there's going to be your aberrations or Jason Hayward that didn't have a great year, but you're able, you're able to survive that um, because Chris Bryant was the most valuable player. Anthony Rizzo had his, you know, a, a, as good as year as he's going to have, it's at least right up there. Um, you know, up and up and down. The Javi Baez played his best baseball down the stretch. So you're just you're getting the most out of your guy. You lose Kyle Schwarber. I mean, you know, think about that. But yeah. it, it's also a next man up uh, mentality. You know, these guys are not. They don't lose a guy and they're not phased. The, the Patriots with Rob Gronkowski. You know, they, I mean, think about that. That 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 that's their arguably look. That their second best player. Not not arguably, he is their second best player. And and, and you know, he's he, he's lost for the year. Late in the year, they could have gone you know every which direction, and 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 they continue to charge along, and um, you know, obviously end up winning the Super Bowl. So it's just, jeez. Uh, I mean, you, you the the. The manager, coach, whatever, I, I think a lot of it stems from, from him and, and, and the attitude that he brings, uh, you know, whether that is, is – and you, and you look at the best. You look at the greatest of all time. And, you know, I'll, just, I'll focus on football for a second just because I think that's more um, – I'd say that's more coach-dependent than, than, than baseball is. And, and I, I just don't think there's any question – uh, you know, it's tough for me to say Lombardi because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't alive when Lombardi was winning all his championships. But 
without question, you know, the two guys that stick out in my mind are Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick. And, you know, you, you think about their stoic nature. And it, it's not that they're not emotional. It's not that they're emotionless or anything else. And, you know, in, in the college game, you could say Nick Saban, right? Like, that's not, you know, these guys, these guys can appear, uh, appear very, very harsh at times, uh, very much like they don't have much of a personality. But that, that's the furthest thing from the truth because, you know, they're, they're the captain of the ship. And, and, and if they show over-emotion one way or another, you know, at least, you know, that's, that's sort of the theory that they've uh, subscribed to, then, uh, you know, th- th- then, then their guys are going to see that and, and, and then they'll react, react off of that. So, you know, here you are with the Patriots down, you know, 21 to three, um, and, and, and they're looking at it. And, and if they see panic uh, in their coach, then, you know, there's a good chance that that panic's going to set into them. Joe Madden even says he talks all the time that he he reads he re, he reads all all his stuff uh, about Bill Walsh and that that was that was his hero and look I, I don't think I, I think Joe Madden is is probably the best manager in the game I think he is the best manager in the game yet he's not mistake prone and and I think he I think he overmanaged in, in the World Series and I think the Cubs won in spite of, of Joe Madden which which is amazing um, but. Uh, I, I also think that's a learning experience that Joe Madden had, and, and it, it's something that he realized that, look, you know, I have my guy up there, Javi Baez, and there's a runner on third base in less than two outs, and the guy already hit a home run in the game. It's a 3-2 count. I sure as hell am not going to have him bunt again, right? Or, or Raldis Chapman, I have a reliever that, you know, is out there and, you know, throwing uh, – <clears throat> he's, he's, he's out there and he's throwing however many pitches over the past however many days, and it's in an obvious you know, loss in velocity. You know, you're not going to go to him as, as early as possible. You see Kyle Hendricks cruising, you're going to let him go. And there's, I think there's things that Joe Madden learned from that World Series that will make him better. Uh, but as far as sort of like mentality and everything else, uh, you know, he, he's, he's really bought into to that concept as well. Yeah. Eric, you've, you've played, I mean, in front of tens of thousands of fans, playoffs, big regular season game. I, I mean, the whole the whole deal. You've come up with clutch hits. You've, you know, you've you've talked about some of the home runs that you've hit. Uh, done it in the playoffs as well. How do you go from Chad Brown, who speaking, you've been talking about football. He was one of my guests uh, a couple episodes back, and he was talking about those Super Bowls, and he had said there is nothing in the world that can ever duplicate what it's like to be on a football field and have fans completely adore you. I mean, screaming and cheering after you make a big play, the adrenaline rush that comes with that. How do you go from those types of emotions and feelings to then essentially being completely alone and isolated on a 100-mile run like you did in, in that marathon? <laughs> wow. Um you know what? They're they're very different. You know, I think the transition process was 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 really interesting because I, I got done playing baseball and I really sort of had to search for what was next. And you know, in in searching for for what was next, you know, I was playing purely softball. I was playing golf. Uh, I was surfing every day. And you know, I don't want to say that I felt unfulfilled because I, I actually really enjoy doing those things, but. I, I transitioned into to, to doing uh, triathlons and, you know, that transition then took me to, 
doing Ironman triathlons and the endurance world. And it was like, you know, going through that process um, of, of, of trying to learn a completely new sport and starting from scratch and starting from uh, an, an area which, you know, I wasn't, uh, I did not have an advantage. This wasn't a natural transition. I, I played an anaerobic sport uh, my entire life and, and even every sport that I played, uh, you know, growing up, be it, you know, tennis to, uh, tennis to, to baseball, to football, to basketball, uh, karate, like everything was short, quick burst uh, of energy. So I had never, I'd never run. Um, I'd never swam in my life uh, outside of, you know, swimming in the ocean. Uh, and so to, to have to learn how to, how to, be an endurance athlete was uh, was was very interesting and, and, and very challenging, um, and and I think it's you know mentally uh, was probably that was that was the biggest thing. But you know I it's mentioned in the doc um, that my father passed away right right before I did my first Ironman, and, and in the months leading up to the training to doing that Ironman, and I I think that that really set me. Uh, in a mindset of of being in the moment and, and letting go, and you know, it helped me in my healing process and and having a relationship, and uh, you know, or at least feeling like I was having a relationship with him and, and being able to talk to him out on the, you know, out on the bike for six hours or you know, on a on a you know twenty mile run and just just kind of checking out and and, and letting my mind drift and you know, at first it was really hard. It was like, I, you know, I, it was tough to break through that barrier. It was like, I remember just trying to get past four miles was, was incredibly difficult. Uh, and then, you know, eventually it just kind of, it kind of went and, and then it transitioned into, uh, you know, the ultra running, you know, after I did, um, after I did the Ironmans and I had this, this race on my radar, but it was, uh, it was heavy, you know, it, it was, it, it, it but it's, it's, it's interesting uh, Mike, because it, it's really much just, just like, you know, baseball where it's like, you know, you're not going to have success, uh, you know, in a 162 game season that it, you know, you know, it's an absolute grind that, that, you know, you deal with emotional ups and downs on a, on a nightly basis. You know, it's real similar to, to ultra running or, or to Ironman where, you know, if you're out there and, you, and you're out there for, you know, 10 hours plus on an, on an Ironman or, you know, in, in, in the case of Western States, you know, almost, almost an entire day. Uh, I mean, that's, that's difficult. You go through ups and downs. And I, I think the only way to, to keep your mind into it is, is to focus on that present moment. You can't think about crossing the finish line when, when you're at mile nine. I mean, it's just, you know, what you got 91 miles. Like you can't, it's, it's tough to try to do that math, but, guess what? We're all human. And, and that it does happen a couple of times and it, it's mentally deflating. So, um, you know, it, it was a, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a wild process. Eric, watching the documentary, there are so many ups and downs that you're having throughout this 100 mile uh, race. From your perspective, I mean, you can tell the emotional toll that it, the race has taken on you and, and, and running 100 miles. But from a physical aspect that you can see, I mean, your feet at, at one point, there's this great scene where, you know, uh, you know, they, they rip the socks off your feet and it's they're just I mean, 
Eric, they're disgusting. I mean, they're 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 blistered <laughs> up. They're cut up. I mean, it just and I'm sitting there going, how in the world can you possibly continue to run? And there it is. I think you had at, at that point. I mean, it was what, 24. It was less than 20 miles, I think, maybe um, at that point when they had ripped the socks off, maybe even more. It was something along those lines. But how do you what, what's the worst part? Like when you're running that race, what's the lowest point? Because I, I have to imagine there's maybe not. I mean, because you were trained for it, but you got to think about quitting right at some point. Did that even cross your mind? Like, no, I can't do this? No, no, uh-uh. It, it, never, it never did. And it didn't because, um, because I knew going into the race that the only, the only way that I was not going to finish the race is if I had to physically be carried off the course. And I'm not saying that was out of the question. I, 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 didn't, I didn't necessarily want to dwell on it or continue to think about it or, you know, put those thoughts in my head. I think you, you know, you, you're human. You recognize it. You understand that, yeah, that's a possibility. Um, and the two possibilities really of, of that happening, um, the, the two most prominent possibilities would be uh, twisting an ankle, uh, which, which, is very very common you know every step of this you have to understand so this this run it starts at squaw valley uh california and and it it goes uh along the western states trail which is a historic gold mining trail uh that the the gold miners used to to take back in the day to the uh to auburn um uh, auburn california which is the the destination and there's a gold mining town uh and it started as a horse race and, and eventually there was a guy that showed up on the, on the start line one year, his horse had gone lame and uh, he was a marathoner and he, and he wanted to see if he could do it on foot. And if he could do it in under a day, that's, that's sort of the benchmark. It's not sort of, it is the benchmark uh, for the horses. And, you know, it's even the benchmark for, for the runners. Um, but, you know, it, the, it's, it's the terrain is incredibly rocky. Uh, there's 18,000 feet, 19,000 feet of elevation gain and 23,000 feet of descent. And it's even less than the gain because when you're going up, it's easier to, to navigate your foot or, or where you're going to place your foot. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, especially on the se- severe climbs, you're power hiking. Uh, but on the descent, you're, you're, you're running and you're running. And sometimes you're running fast and, and, you're, and you're hopping from rock to rock. So, uh, you know, there, get, there gets to be a point where it's, it's like, man, it, it'd be very easy to, to legitimately not finish the race if, if something had happened. Um, you know, and I took a, I took a gnarly, in which, which we have in the movie, but I took a gnarly spill. Uh, probably, you know, I'm, I'm guessing somewhere around mile 20. And I wonder how much it took out of me because when I got to about mile 25, uh, and we were dropping elevation and, and the heat was really starting to pick up. Uh, I felt incredibly nauseous and, and there was that time right there. It wasn't like, Hey, am I going to quit? I just, you know, I, at, at that point and I felt, I, I didn't feel good and my body didn't feel good. Uh, I, I, I did think, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I get carried off this course. And, and again, that was going to be the only race, the only, the only time I, uh, I, I would not finish a race, but there was one more point, Mike, at, at mile 75 where, you know, while I was rolling and kind of a twist of this whole thing, which also makes the documentary interesting is, 
uh, Lance Armstrong is is a buddy of mine, and and I asked Lance to come out and and, and pace me for it, and he did. And pay, being a pacer is a really thankless job. Uh, and so Lance came out, and and Lance and I were running together, and man, we were we were crushing it. He was huge, uh, and and we're laughing and talking and laughing and talking. He's telling me just one crazy story after another, and boom, 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 and we roll in, and we're at mile we're at mile seventy five, and and the dude at the uh at the aid station it's like hey guys woo yeah good job hey you look great just think all you have left is a marathon and then it was like <laughs> and because it, it was it was getting dark it was night i knew we had we hadn't crossed the river yet uh we you know we it was so we, we were gonna we we're gonna have to do that and then after the river is a two mile climb straight up uh to um uh, geez, I want to say Rocky Chucky. Uh, yeah, I believe that's it. But it's it's two miles straight up, and then there's 20 miles left, and then that's where you saw the um, where my socks were were ripped off and and the feet, and they were they were sliced, and it, it's tough because you can't really see it that well in the video, and you, you sort you sort of can because he because he starts draping my feet with uh, with glide, uh, but. Yeah, my feet were sliced, and they were sliced because of, of the rocks just all day. And, and then also, you know, my feet, I'm, I'm going through wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry. So I'm coming in and out of creeks all day. And so when you come out of the creeks, right, you're, you're obviously, you have to run through them. So you're, you're wetting your feet, and then your feet become dry. So, so what they're doing is, you know, the same sort of thing you'd think about what your foot would do. In, in a hot tub after being in there for, for a long time, you know, it's just shriveling up and bliss and then it eventually becomes blisters. And, um, so that, you know, that was, that was tough. That was a, uh, that was a game changing moment, um, in, in, in the race because I, I got some fresh socks on and, uh, and I got the, I got, I got a new, a new pair of shoes on, which, which I think really, really helped, uh, bring me home. Eric, I'm glad you bring up bring up Lance Armstrong because I was going to ask you about that. I know you said you're you guys are buds, you have that relationship. I mean, we're talking. Look, controversy aside, when you think of uh, endurance athletes, I mean, he's got to be the first person that I think everyone thinks of of because of what he was able to accomplish. Was there any hesitation because you knew at that point you were going to do this documentary? Was there any hesitation about having Lance be your your pacer? I, as a pro athlete, you probably have relationships with a million different athletes across the board in all these sports. You probably could have leaned on someone else. So why Lance? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think that, you know, I, I, Lance loves to run. And, and I don't think there's, there's any doubt that he is the greatest endurance athlete of, of all time. I, 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 you know, it's like same thing with Barry Bonds. You bring up the steroids, bring up, you know, in Lance's case, blood doping or, 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 or whatever else. But guess what? For a couple things. I mean, one, both those guys, both those guys were not the only ones doing it. Um, you know, especially in the cycling world. I love the fact that they have to go. There's one Tour de France that they had to go to like number 18 to, to find a guy uh that that at least publicly had not been tied to perform uh, performance enhancing drugs in cycling i mean just just think about that it was, it was a culture and look lance both lance and barry uh in my opinion were they were they were products of the culture 
And, and it's not, do I blame them? Yeah, of course. You, you know, there's individual responsibility that both these guys have to take. But I, I think the ultimate blame goes on, uh, go, goes to the culture that was facilitated by so many, by, by other people that, that played the game, uh, you know, by, by coaches, general managers, front offices, owners, all people that had the same, you know, suspects as everybody else. You know, Lance, the, the worst decision that Lance made was, was, was going on the attack. But, you know, the, if you think about, you know, what he was trying to preserve in the Livestrong Foundation and, and 80, 80 million strong wearing the, the yellow bracelets and everything else, you know, it'd be real easy to justify going on the attack when you're, when you're, you're, you're defending something that's bigger than you. And so that's one of the conversations that, you know, Lance and I had and, 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 and I get it and, and I understand. Um, but I, as far as all of that was concerned, I, I didn't care. Mike, I didn't care one bit. Like I, look, the guy's, the guy's a good dude. I love being around him. He loves to run. He, he was, he was he was he was all in on 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 the Western states. Uh, he, he's always been intrigued with the race, so he was he was looking forward to getting out there and doing it. And um, you know, I, I, I was I was honored to have him out there. And, and and when it came to you know the documentary and stuff, I look with or without Lance, the documentary was getting made. With or without Lance, I was going to run the Western States 100. Uh, but I I I actually enjoyed giving him a platform for. Uh, to, to let people see him in uh, another light from, you know, the same light that we've been seeing him in over and over and over, you know, over the past five years or so uh, since, since all the real heavy, uh, heavy controversy has, has come out. So, uh, you know, hopefully it's just sort of a little reminder that, you know, we all make mistakes. We're all human. Uh, and and I, I also think that, you know, we, we all, we all deserve, you know, second chances in life and, and, and the ability to, the ability to change. Diamond to the rough is the name of the documentary. And by the way, I'll have all the, all the details of where you can find it in the show notes. And I'll let Eric explain that in a couple of minutes here, but um, two really important things that I want to um, ask you about one, the Pat Tillman Foundation, which I think is is really really important, and and the proceeds, a lot of them are are going to that foundation. I want to ask you about that in a second, but the documentary itself. I mean, you had a successful baseball career. Uh, the doc has done done really well. Wh- what's what's that thing you're most proud of about about this film? Jeez, uh, Mike. I, you know what's funny? I the making of the film, like putting it together. Cause I, I've never done it. And, and I've worked in television for a long time now this goes back all the way to uh, my days in, in Arizona where I, where I had my own television show when I was playing. Um, and, and I, I really got a, I really got a sense of producing back then uh, because I, you know, we were, we were, we were trying to organically come up with all these ideas um, that, that we could we could do to to make the show entertaining and and the whole idea of the the show in Arizona was to give fans a, a look at a baseball player's life off of the field and I always justify it by like Will Clark was my favorite baseball player growing up and if you had given me access to Will off the field like man how special would have that been so we did things like we we had a gate a dating game with uh, three single guys that we had on our team Connor Jackson Justin Upton Micah Owings. We brought them to a sorority house. What's great is that we got the, the girl. We picked the girl. So we went through the uh, process of picking the girl, and then she became like, you know, the, the bachelorette, and then she got to choose between the three. Um, and so we did, 
we just did a bunch of fun things uh, like that. But, you know, again, like it, it sort of forced me to, to, to put my producing cap on. And, and that's what this documentary did because it started, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, it started as a home video. And I didn't know what I want to do with it. But I hired two guys that made an incredible film about Western states last year that weren't doing anything for the film, this, you know, in, in 2016. So I hired them. I just said, hey, look, I said, how about this? How about I hire you guys? Introduced by mutual friend. And I'm like, how about I hire you guys to follow me around, capture as much footage as possible. And then, I don't know, we'll see what we have and, and see if we can put something together. Uh, you know, that would be, you know, at the very least, a glorified home video that 10 years from now, my kids, when they're older, because right now they're five, six, and seven, but when they're older, they'll be able to look at it and, and laugh and, you know, because they're in it and um, whatever. But uh, I think as, as, you know, we started putting it together and we started piece and, and, and I'm really kind of understanding what we had with the sit down interviews. Uh, and there were some messages that went well beyond what I ever thought we, we would, uh, we would have, um, some pretty powerful messages. And we wanted those messages, uh, to be heard. And, and it, I don't care. And this is, a, the, again, the, the thing I'm most proud of is that you don't have to be a baseball fan. You don't have to be a runner to appreciate this film. I, I think, you know what, it might be something as if someone who's, who's dealt with the loss of, of uh, a parent, uh, the loss of a loved one. Um, if it's someone who, you know, might be struggling with, you know, the, the concept of, of, of what's next and, and what am I going to do with my life? And, and, and you know, you, you, you've been only knowing one thing for so long, you know, this potentially could help somebody take that step outside uh, of their comfort zone. It might be somebody who has been struggling with obesity and, and, and really kind of looking at it like, man, you know what, maybe, maybe it's not that big of a deal to step out and, 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 and do something. And really, if there's any, you know, powerful message, at least physically, uh, in the movie, it's, it's about doing something. It's not about a 100-mile run. It has nothing to do with it. But it's about being active. And, and it's also about, you know, the mental clarity that that activity will give you. I grew up as a kid. I had ADHD. I was diagnosed in, you know, the mid-1980s when nobody even knew what ADHD was. And I was prescribed coffee, which there's no way I was drinking coffee as a nine-year-old kid. But one thing I noticed is that how much better I felt when I would go outside and we would have recess and then we come in from lunch and then after school activity. And it, it really, it set my mind in the right place. But you don't have to have ADHD to understand that physical activity and movement will stimulate the mind. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like it, and it's, now we have ways to prove it because you can take a scan of a kid's brain and, and they'll show how much of that brain is working. So let's just say, you know, there's, there's 10% of the brain, you know, working after being sedentary for, for 20 plus minutes, right? And this is a kid in ADHD and that with, with ADHD, but then you, you let them go outside and 20 minutes of activity and they come back and sit down, heart rate calm down and everything. Now his whole brain with these, these new brain scans, it, it's, it's 80 per, 80% firing. So this is very real, um, and it's it's something that you know I I, I think that uh, you know I, I think I think going forward if, if if you you know if you watch the doc again it's it's there's so many different 
things uh, that you can take from it. Plus, not to mention the fact that the 100 mile journey is it, it's flat out entertaining. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's, you know, I, obviously I'm biased and I say that, but, you know, it was more entertaining for me to watch actually than it was to do it. it it's like you look back and like, geez, as I, as I recanted it and went through it. Um, but then I also believe, you know, I, I, again, because this could, this, could, this could affect different people different ways, is if you have children, um, you know, the, the, the message of, of setting an example for them, and it doesn't even have to be through physical activity, but you know, obviously in my case, you know, it was, and it was something that my father had done for me. And, and he set an example for me uh, in, in the year that he turned 40 and watching him, uh, he got his fourth degree black belt and in, in, in the process and everything that went into it in the ceremony. And, and, and just me, you know, thinking to myself, man, like along the way, like when I turned 40, like I want to do something epic. I want to do something that when my kids are, are my age and my kids are 40 years old and they're able to, to, to think about it, uh, you know, maybe something I had done that what now, now is, now it's their turn to give back, but even more than like a historic, Oh, on my 40th birthday, it's just daily in life. Like you can't force feed your kids anything, right? You, you can't, you can't push them into a sport. You can't push them into an activity that they don't want to do. It's not going to work. Guess what? They could do it for a short period of time, but ultimately there's going to be resentment. But what you can do as a parent is you, you can set a good example. And you can set a good example through your, through your activity and your lifestyle, your way of living. And uh, that's, that's what constantly, it's not just through this race because, because this is, this is like I mentioned, this is a lifestyle and I'm, I'm constantly trying to, Hey, look guys, this is, this is, this is the way, uh, this is the way it's done. And, and the biggest thing is that I hope that they get from it and that I hope that other people that watch it get from it is that no matter what you do, do it with passion. Put, put everything you have into it. Don't half-ass it. And guess what? Here's the other thing. You're not going to be the best. You're not always going to be the best. And sometimes you're, you know, sometimes you're going to be far from the best. But if you put your best effort uh, forward, if you do what you can do to prepare, uh, then there's nothing, there's nothing in the world that's going to hold you back. Eric, before I let you get going, I, I dropped Pat Tillman's name. I think it's important. I, I grew up in the Northeast. I've said this on, on previous shows. Um, Pat Tillman, for those who don't know, uh, played at Arizona State. He was actually a teammate of Jake Plummer, who's also a guest on this podcast. And uh, Jake had talked about Pat. Um, there's this great legacy that he has, and yet I don't know how many people are fully aware of what he was able to accomplish. And the, really the Cliff Notes version of the story is played at ASU, played in the NFL, played with Arizona and the Cardinals, and decided to to leave that career after 9-11. And, and for a kid who went to school in New York City, really understands um, you know what had happened uh, around that time and how difficult it was. And I think the story is important because you know going through the numbers and, and listening to a lot of people where they're downloading this podcast, it's all over the world. I mean, it's it's Australia, different continents, which is still fascinating to me to see some of the metrics with this particular podcast. But I, I don't know how many people. I mean, this is 2004, if I'm not mistaken. I was a year. I graduated college at Fordham in 2003. 
And Pat decides to leave to go into the military. Um, he gets killed, uh, you know, in Afghanistan. And, um, you know, this is a guy who, who turned down millions of dollars to play in the NFL, uh, left that deal and, and to go and serve his country after 9-11. Um, you obviously are a UCLA guy. So there's those Pac-10 or Pac-12 now ties that you have with with ASU. How did you decide? Because I mentioned some of the proceeds of, of uh, Diamond to the Rough will go to the Pat Tillman Foundation. How did did you decide, Eric, to give to that to that group? Well, it was pretty easy. I, you know, he, he was a guy that I always looked up to. And, and ironic, it's ironic because we were we were the same age. I graduated high school. Both of us graduated high school in '94. He went to Leland. I went to St. Francis. Leland's in San Jose. St. Francis is in Mountain View, right down the street. We used to watch this, uh, this show called High School Sports Focus on Friday and Saturday nights, and they'd have the highlights of the high school football games. And we would watch this dude with these long blonde locks flowing out of his helmet you know didn't look big at all actually relatively undersized and i've never seen anything like him still to this day on on a football field he was a one-man operation he he would get the ball on offense run over four dudes score a touchdown on defense like he you know roving all over the field He'd make the sack, you know, quarterback fumbles the ball, pick it up, like 10 guys would jump on his back. It was almost superhuman sort of stuff that he was doing. And, and of course, I'm exaggerating, but if you would, if you would watch, if you not think about off, where though, I was. It's not far off, If you think about where I was at the time of my life, uh, you know, an 18-year-old senior at St. Francis High School in which, you know, we had won – there was a run there where we won eight consecutive CCS titles. It, it, it was, we were the best team, the best football team in the area. The only other team it, 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 with, within Northern California that, that could hold a candle to us was Dave LaSalle. And we stopped playing Dave LaSalle my sophomore year. I'll, I'll hold to this day that if we played Dave LaSalle when I was a junior, that, that streak would have ended a lot earlier than when it did. Uh, you know, or it wouldn't have started until after that because I, I, I get it. De, De, De La Salle is, is quote unquote in a league of their own. But my junior year, we went 13 and 0, and we had an average margin of victory of just about 40 points. It was an absolute joke. So here I am, and here all, not only me, but me and a, a whole group of guys that are playing football on, on the best team in the area. And we would sit around the television waiting for Pat Tillman highlights to come on. Think about that one for a second. Like we're, we're Eagles are through the roof, right? 18, like, oh, that guy sucks. You know, and, and we're, we're admiring this guy. Zach Walls, who played six seasons in, in, in the NFL, who was my best friend at St. Francis. Our senior year, this is later in the year, that's like a, a girls' volleyball game or something. Pat is sitting across the gym in the corner and – Zach's like, I'm going in. I got to do it. And he walked across to introduce himself to Pat Tillman. Now, the irony, and this all ties into the story of how I got involved with the foundation, is that, you know, however many years later, he's like probably four or five years later, uh, Zach was the uh, six-round draft pick of the Arizona Cardinals. And Pat was the seventh-round draft pick of the Arizona Cardinals. So the two of them become roommates. This is 1998. And then I signed with the Oakland A's. So here I am. I'm down in Scottsdale for fall ball and 
uh, you know, spring training and everything. And I'm hanging around the NFLers. I'm hanging around Zach, you know, uh, still one of my best friends for life. And, and, and you know, Pat's, Pat's hanging around. Like, whenever Pat was around, it was funny because, you know, obviously I like to talk and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was, I don't know, I, I was, I don't want to say I was intimidated because that's not how he made you, it made, made you feel. But I just liked watching him. I liked watching him interact. I liked, I liked everything about him. And, and, and you know, I, I, I would, I would just, it's almost like take notes of like, okay, how do you want to be as a human being? Like, you, you're, you're ready to watch this dude. And I, it was, uh, I, I'm very grateful for the experiences that, that, that I got to, uh, or the experiences in the times that I got to be around Pat. And obviously in, in 2004, he was killed. Um, you know, Zach had, had sort of detailed the whole process. And, and after 9-11, you know, just like, just like everybody else, right? Uh, you know, I, oh, yeah, 9-11 happens. I'm ready to go fight for my country. And, and then, like, reality sets in. It's like, okay, well, I, I just made it to the big leagues. And, you know, I, I, you know I'm not really going to walk away from this to join the military when, when I don't have to. And, and, and I did. Um, and I think, that, you know, there were a lot of Americans that were a lot of talk like I was. And, and, you know, of course we thought about it, but we, we didn't do it. And Pat, you know, obviously thought about it and he obviously did it. And so following his steps and hearing about his first tour in, in Afghanistan, because he wouldn't talk to the media, but he would talk to Zach. And so, and so I was just getting all the stories, you know, third hand from Zach. Um, and, I, you know, I remember Jesus, probably it's Christmas time of... 2003, 2004, and sitting in the jacuzzi, and, and Zach had just he had just talked to Pat, and, and he was telling us a, about the whole Jessica Lynch thing, which which is kind of I'm, I'm not going to call it funny, but it was you know to get the real story of of, of what actually happened, um, you know, and then basically him saying that he's got you know he, he's going to go back, and, and he's thinking one more tour in in, in Afghanistan, uh, and then. And then from there, like, he's going to go play football again. And, he, and he's coming back. And he was talking with the, the Seahawks, uh, I believe. And I, I got all this information, you know, way back when. Now, since some of it has come out, you know, in, in the Crack uh, Hour book. But, yeah, he was very, very intent on coming back and playing the NFL and then, and then was killed. So, you know, I think when he was killed, it, it just – I think because of a couple things, because of the constant updates and, you know, my admiration for him when – when, you know, when he was in high school and, you know, obviously in the pros, like, I mean, it just broke my heart. I mean, I, I sat there just crying, like un, uncontrollably for, for hours sitting in front of the TV before going to play. I believe we, we had a game that night and it, it was just like, it, I, it really, really difficult to digest. So I, you know what, I, I never really had a chance, um, you know, right. Obviously when it happens, it's, it's just, you know, really emotional and whatnot. And, you know, I, I, I never had a chance to meet the family. I, I, I had never met Marie. Uh, Kevin I had met once or twice, uh, who was in Afghanistan with Pat, who's, who's uh, Pat's brother. Richard I had never met at the time. I never met, I never met Pat's parents. Uh, and then in 2006, I was playing for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I got a call from Richard Chillman, who's Pat's youngest brother. And he's like, hey, man, he said, uh, you know, I know, I know you've been a champion of – of Pat's for a long time. And uh, I, I'd really like for you to come out to the statue unveiling um, at the new stadium in Arizona. So, you know, of course I went out and that's when I, I got 
that's when I got to meet Richard. That's when I got to meet, uh, you know, really spend some time with Kevin. That's when I really got to know Marie, who's Pat's widow, uh, and and met the parents for the first time, and then met the the other people in in Pat's life, uh, Alex Scarwood, uh, Pat's brother-in-law, and then Ben Hill, uh, Ben and Brandon Hill, who were you know two of Pat's like lifelong uh, best friends. And you know it's funny within a very short period of time, uh, those those people became you know my my really good friends, and uh, I. I completely and totally, you know, went all in on, on the foundation and everything I was doing and, uh, you know, uh, in, in charity work, it just went to the Pat Tillman foundation. And then in 2007, I signed a contract, uh, extension with the Arizona Diamondbacks and, and donated a bunch of money. Um, and just, you know, really recommitted myself. And then since, uh, I have obviously been doing these, these Ironman distance, you know, races as well as uh, the hundred mile run and ultra marathons. And so for every Ironman race that I do uh, and for every hundred mile run uh, that, that, that I've done with one being the Western States and whichever ones that I do uh, in the future, I cross the finish line uh, holding a Pat Tillman uh, Jersey. And the reason being is that when I cross the finish line and, you know, a lot of times there's, you know, several, hundreds if not thousands of people uh, you know in the stands uh you know especially at Ironman Arizona every single year and I've done that for the past uh, six years but as as I cross uh you know I want one if there's one kid in the stand that turns to his mom or his dad and says hey look like you know why is he holding that jersey and, and who is that and you know that'll give their parents an opportunity to explain you know who Pat Tillman was the sacrifices that he made uh, that's what it's all about. And it's about just continuing to, to have his legacy live on because of how special he was, because of the sacrifices uh, that he gave up. So it's, uh, it's been an honor to work with the foundation, like you said, uh, you know, a, a portion of the proceeds of all, all the proceeds from Diamonds of the Rough are going to go uh, to the Pat Tillman Foundation. And, uh, you know, again, more, more importantly, and I think most importantly is, is 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 keeping uh keeping pat's legacy alive and remembering uh how much of a badass that this dude was so i think one thing that gets lost in all of it uh is 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 how great of a football player he was check this out mike he had 18 count them 18 tackles in his last nfl game 18 tough to comprehend isn't it yeah, I mean that's <laughs> this wasn't the guy on the tail end of his career. He was entering that prime no. when he decided to to step away from making millions of dollars to serve the country. It really is a fascinating story, um, Eric. Before we let you get going, we've been talking about Diamond to the Rough. If I want to watch it, where do I go? Uh, it's on Vimeo. Uh, Vimeo, Vimeo. I don't know, however you want to say it, but it it's actually a pretty cool. It's, it's not. It's not. It's a really cool site for for independent filmmakers. It's I think it's it's the, it's the best. Um, and that's why we decided to put it there. So far, we exclusively uh, exclusively have kept it there. Uh, it's it's three ninety nine to rent. It's nine ninety nine to buy. It's 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 not it's not it's not breaking the bank uh, by by any means. Just type in Diamond to the Rough. Uh, it should come up. The actual uh, website is, is, is uh, Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O dot com forward slash uh, on demand forward slash diamond to the rough. So Vimeo on demand 
uh, Diamond to the Rust. And yeah, check it out. Yeah, you could. I also have direct links on my, my Twitter account, which is at Burns22, uh, as well as on Instagram. And, and Diamond to the Rust, too, is, is it's on, we're on Twitter and uh, Instagram, and we have a Facebook page as well. So, you know, I, I like the feedback. I, 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 and, and I would say just, you know, if, if, you, if you do watch a movie, um, you know, please, please respond and, and, and let me know how, how, uh, you know, how it affected you. Let me know if you like it. Uh, I, I think that's probably, you know, one of the coolest things too, because I got a, I got a message, uh, from a guy that was really, really struggling in life, um, in a, in a few different areas, you know, one physically, uh, the other psychologically and, and really, you know, he was saying that, uh, you know, the, some of the, the, the messages that were in the film uh, really, really hit him hard. And, and he's, you know, in the, in the short term, uh, this, is a few, this is a few months now, but really has changed his life around and had, had already lost, like, I think it was over 50 pounds. I mean, it's crazy, crazy wow. to hear this guy's story. But when I, when I have that come back to me, it's like, dude, this is, this is awesome. uh this is this is awesome it really is yeah. yeah well once again in the link to vimeo i'll put it in the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out you can uh follow eric on twitter that it's at burns 22 uh diamond too rough is also the uh, twitter handle once again all that information will be in the show notes eric i can't thank you enough for for stopping by uh, i know i said i watched the the doc with you uh here at pac 12 network you, you did the screening for us and I, I can't say enough great things about it and uh, i wish you all the best with uh with pushing forward here yeah I mean, you're the man dude i appreciate you having me on and 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 keep doing uh Keep doing your thing because it, you know what's cool about this podcast is is the messages that in the platform that you're giving uh some really really uh incredible athletes but beyond the fact that athletes are the stories that go along with the athletes are are what influences the next generation because not all these stories uh you know are 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 this nice beautiful paved path uh, yeah. to success. So it's, uh, I appreciate you doing what you do. I really appreciate that. Eric, thanks again. All right, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Oh, seriously awesome to have Eric on the show. I, I mentioned the fact that he did the screening for us here at Pac-12 Network. We had all of our employees that got to do this private screening, and we got to hear some of the insight from Eric in that. Uh, truly an inspiring film. And it's not a long doc, too. I mean, I, I think it's probably like 45 uh, minutes, maybe 50 minutes, and really just jam-packed. And to give you some perspective and some context on on this doc, it was in the Monarch Film Festival, and it actually won the Judge's Choice Award. And to give you some idea of, of what that actually means, so for that film festival, there's 100 films that are submitted, 34 actually get picked, and the award, that, that Judge's Choice Award of those 34, that's the, the film that all the judges can't stop talking about. And after you watch this, you'll certainly understand why. You can find it on Vimeo. I'll have the, uh, the notes and, and the link in the show page as well. But truly uh, awesome to have Eric on the show to talk about his baseball career and then life after baseball. Really, really great stuff. Uh, appreciate you guys, as always, listening. Remember, all these episodes 
episodes on the Give Me a Sense podcast. They're all evergreen. You can check any of them out. Eric said it. You know, a lot of great athletes that have stopped by uh, the show with us, former athletes, uh, current athletes, former coaches, a ton of broadcasters as well, and hearing some of their stories and uh, some of the struggles to get to the point uh, that they are right now in their lives. Uh, hopefully they're inspiring to you guys. So appreciate you guys always spreading the word on your social media channels. You can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Yam. The Facebook page is Mike Yam. Thanks again for listening.